This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Wildcatters? Thanks for joining us for another great episode. I think you guys are actually going to really enjoy this one. We've highlighted a bunch of digital technologies, but haven't had on near as many founders on the Oilfield Services side in quite a while. These guys from Nomad Propin are pretty early on in the journey, but they're young and they're hungry. Now, we've hit on how raising early stage capital is never easy, and it's even harder when you're pre-revenue and you need 10 plus million dollars to start. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. But before we get into the show, this week's episode is brought to you by Wolfpack Software. Oil prices this year have crushed us. We all know that. But you know what we say, evolve or die. These days, you got to do a whole lot more with significantly less. In order to do that, you need to be able to streamline as many workflows as possible. Wolfpack makes it easy to maintain a seamless handoff of data between departments and minimizes the tedious task of data entry. In short, whether you're an EMP, oil field service company, or on the midstream side, they have business automation software to make your organization more efficient. Wolfpack automates the integration of oilfield data and back office processes by enabling a single point of data capture that fuels accounting and finance operations. Their new mobile app, Wolfpack Pumper, automates the capture of pumper gauge field data and makes it immediately available to the back office, letting you analyze trends and make decisions faster. To learn more, go check them out at wolfpack.com or click the link in the show notes and tell them we sent you. What is going on, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. Colin had to duck out. He had an important meeting. We had a super stacked day. And we also had, for the very first time ever, we've got three guests on the show simultaneously. We have the boys from Nomad Propent. We've got, let me see if I can remember this. We've got Brad, Steve, and John Martin, right? John Michael. John Michael. Got it. Dang it. I was almost there. Close. Okay. So who wants to take the lead on what is Nomad Propent? What do you guys do? Yeah. So I'll take the lead here. I'll start us off. So um, like you said, so we are Nomad Propent. First off, I want to thank you guys for, for having us on. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty avid listener myself. And so, you thank know, you. I've learned a lot from from you guys and the people you've had on. Uh, and we've actually made some connections with the people that you've had on. So that's oh, wow. been really helpful as well. That's awesome. Uh, but for us, so Nomad, we are a pre-revenue mobile mining frac sand service company. Okay. So what that means for us is, yes, frac sand is our product and that's what we sell. But we really view ourselves more of a, as a service company first mm. because our, our mission is to make sure that our customers get sand to the well as safely and as cheaply as possible. Mm. And we can do that because we feel that we bring a couple things different to the table than what everyone else does currently. And that really got started because Brad here is, is actually from Minnesota. Okay. So in 2017, when this frac sand, what everyone thought was the gold rush started in West Texas, Brad really came down from Minnesota and had this epiphany moment. And that's how Nomad kind of came to be. So I'll let him kind of take it from there. Yeah, so I got my start with Unimin, uh, which at the time they were the largest industrial mineral and frac sand supplier in the United States. And I came up through engineering and then worked my way up to project manager. In 2017, they were doing a new plant build, um, kind of like everybody else did. So 23-ish mines went in, in the Permian in, in that 2017 period. And so I was assigned as the engineering lead and then later project manager. And when I was down there, another thing that was happening is we were being told that we're there to solve the last mile, which is how do you get the sand to the customer once mm -hmm. you produce it? And I've never mm -hmm. seen frack job before didn't you know i understand they took our sand they pumped it down hole but didn't really understand 
what happened in between, you no. know, well, how are they using it? And so when I was down there, I kind of got a lot more exposure. It's the first time I saw an oil field. You know, it's how do you expect your engineers to solve the last mile if they don't understand what the customers even do with the sand? So there was a day that with the regional manager, we drove from Kermit, Texas to Loving, New Mexico, which is around 120 miles. And on the whole drive, you see it's frack pad, frack pad, frack pad. And you see sand all around them. It's like, okay, you know, you want to solve the last mile. Why aren't we mining out of the back of a truck and then piping the sand in? You know, it's right there. It's all over. You know, the permit, I mean, it didn't really matter where you were there. And so that's kind of where the idea started. So I went back, sketched it out. It was like, yeah, you can do a mobile unit without too much difficulty and then pipe it in wet and sand goes down the whole wet anyway so it doesn't need dry you get mm -hmm. rid of a lot of processes in the mining industry that don't add any value to the customer so it really is simplifying this supply chain i think uh, simple as it can go mm -hmm. yeah especially now when trucking is about two-thirds of the cost right so if you're eliminating that trucking now it wasn't as important when rail was the majority of the cost Eliminating that trucking wasn't as vital. Well, now it's two thirds of the, the sand cost. So if you can eliminate that, you're you're cutting into significant margins. So you guys are saying that you would build. So you build the mine really to be. It's like a last mile mine, and then that one mine would provide frac sand that would be piped wet through some kind of pipe to the different mm -hmm. pads. From there, subsequently removing the trucking needs and the cost associated with that. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and we're at the same time being safer. Right. With Absolutely. Absolutely. There's yeah, huge yeah. safety and ESG benefits along with that. Each each well requires about 400 trucks. Okay. And right now they're all going about between 50 and 100 miles each way. Okay. Mm -hmm. And mobile mining isn't something new. I mean, you see construction. I mean, we're basically opening up a borrow pit. So this is, has been done in the construction industry, uh, concrete sands, you name it, you know, and we're just kind of taking that same, you know, what's always been there and applying it to the oil field. Okay. So you said you're from Minnesota. That's kind of like the, the frac sand capital of the U.S. You know, I think everybody believed that going to Minnesota had yielded the, the highest quality mesh sand kind mm -hmm. of in the early days, right? Mm -hmm. Has that proven to be, because I know there's, like you said, there's like, what, what was it, 17? 23. 20, 23 mines that opened up in the Permian. Obviously, people were going more in basin for a lot of the sand. Is there a major difference between, say, the sand in the Permian versus the sand up in Minnesota? If you want 2040 with a high crush value, you're not going to find that in the Permian. But I think, and John can uh, speak to this more, the quality requirements have dropped dramatically um, by the oil field customers. So once they kind of saw that they can go to 100 mesh, uh, which is much finer, and still get the productivity, I mean, that kind of opened the doors wide open. Because fine sand is everywhere. I mean, it's, it's all throughout the U.S. Mm -hmm. That really hard coarse sand is not i mean you can only find it in a few spots it's yeah and, and frack designs changed i mean when i was down in the eagleford in 2012 uh 3050 was necessary to complete frack job now it's all 100 mesh eog and some others have really kind of changed the game and proven out that you can use a, what is a lower quality sand in some regards but doesn't really the amount of savings you're making more than make up for the loss in quality on it mm -hmm. but you know back in the day there were old school guys that would do nothing but northern white and that was you know that was just the way it was done but, but the permian does have a better quality than some of the other regional sands you get a 7 to 8k 40 70 and a 9 to 10k 100 mesh 
which some of the other basins, you know, maybe have a 6K 4070 and a 7K 100 mesh or something. Even, you know, we've talk, heard people doing a, a 4K 100 mesh. So mm. the standards have really changed, especially when you're coming to the permian and you can take off $50 of rail and transload. That's what really pushed people to say, okay, well, let, let me give this stuff a try and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been out there and seen a bunch of bunch of the sand dunes. I'd toss that stuff in the blender, you know, just straight in. I wouldn't even wash it. Some of it's so good. So, so what's your so what's your background, John Michael? Uh, I was a petroleum engineer at A and M, okay. fracking engineer for Halliburton before I went and got my MBA. Okay. Did you go to A&M as well? I did. You're wearing maroons, I just guessed. And yeah. you're from Minnesota, so I'm guessing you didn't go to A&M unless Minnesota you- Minnesota State. Minnesota State. Whoop. So, okay. So, now that we've understand kind of the different in-basin versus out-of-basin, are any of the big companies like EOG piping in any of their sand currently? Or is anybody doing what you guys are proposing? Is, has anybody out there done it? Any of the operators? Operators have tried wet sand. But they're still trucking it in. And but they're still trucking it in. Then you're paying to haul the water. So, you're really losing the savings that you gain by not trucking or by not drying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's two reasons you want dry sand mm-hmm. uh, for a frack job. It's easier to handle and it's cheaper to haul. But you can solve those problems, right? If it's a lot easier to pipe and then you have a consistent moisture level, it's just as handleable. So I convention see. is the largest reason that's mostly done dry. What do you feel like is the biggest barrier to why nobody else has done this? Because it seems to me like a no-brainer. Like when we first talked about it, I was like, I agree. Why isn't it done this yeah. way anyways? Yeah. Well, you guys can speak to the mining. I think it's iterative thinking on the mining industry. You're t- mm-hmm. They're taking one step at a time. And I think that's what's, when we came together, the confluence of me having frack engineer experience at him building the plant, you can piece it all together. You see where it's going, but when you're big executive level and you just want to build the same plant, just smaller, that leads you to where the model currently is. Yeah. Everyone, all these legacy companies just took the same mines that they had up North and then moved them down South into the Permian. They just added a couple silos and truck mm-hmm. loadouts. Right. Is that? Yeah, basically. I mean, it's it, they just use the exact same process that's always been done. But two, there are now mobile mining companies starting to come out and they're doing similar where they're using a smaller mine to get closer, but they're still not to the point of piping it in. If you look at several different companies, they do maybe piece it all together if they were to combine as one, but really nobody doing it all front to back. And really, our, our industry's never talked before. So, I mean, before speaking with JM, you wouldn't know how to solve that in between. You know, I mean, you, you weren't in sales, right? So, I worked for a sand company. I was right. in sales, so I would talk with people like JM all the time. But you, being the guy who designs the mine, you would never interact with that type, those type of people. Exactly. So, okay. So you said mobile mine. How do you define mobile? Mine? Does this mean that the mines that you guys are wanting to build? Do you break these down and move them, or mm-hmm. or yes. once you once you build a mine, does it does it stay there and service the area for as long as it needs to, or is it a combination of both? It's sort of a combination of both. Mm-hmm. You want to get in a spot where you can service several areas or several wells. So we have kind of a two mile radius as our general cutoff. But yeah, you essentially can mobilize in a day you rig down move it rig up Um, everything's on a chassis so it's all on wheels and we're smaller than a fracking operation so if you can picture them moving their fracking operation 24 hour period i mean for us we're, we're so much smaller than that it's it's nothing which is i think key to our model is understanding you know they come from a world where it's a large fixed asset that's got a 20 30 year life Whereas, you know, our world, the fracking world, you're in a location for three, four days or three weeks, you know, you can be, but that operational efficiency is a requirement to what we do. 
So, and, and that's one of the reasons all the plants in the permit right now are basically built in the same, you know, I call it the Fraxant corridor. They're all in the Crane and Kermit area because they require 20 year mine lives because they all cost 100, 200, even $300 million just to build one plant. Mm-hmm. Jesus. And so that's another reason why some of these other companies haven't done it. As you've seen the past couple of weeks, you've had two public companies declare bankruptcy or at least announce their plans to declare bankruptcy. Who was that? That was a uh, Covia and a High Crush. High Crush filed bankruptcy. Yes. They, they have planned to, they announced their plans. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've announced their plans. Yeah. And High Crush is the, aren't they the biggest or one no, of the biggest? So, so Covia, which used to be Uniman and, that, and that's who Brad and I worked for. Okay. Um, so they are the biggest in terms of, of uh, revenue and number of plants. Mm. High, High Crush is, High Crush has no industrial side. That's what helps Covia and some, and like the US Silicas of the world. Is it because they do have that industrial business to help them, you know, weather the storm of the waves that come with the Fraxan world, uh, whereas High Crush is all energy. So by essentially having these mobile mines and lowering the upfront capex of building these, does that allow you guys to have a more sustainable business model than some of the ones who are filing bankruptcy now? Definitely. That's certainly the plan. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, while our ask is, is certainly bigger than, you know, a traditional tech startup, yeah. you know, but we're, we're still in the, the eight figure ask for, for our capital raise. It's low eight figures, but it, that's still a lot of money. But it's certainly not the hundreds of millions of dollars it requires to, to build one of these big regional plants. Right. And you don't have to acquire land, right? So some of these right. guys have spent just as much on the land than they did on the High Crush paid $225 million for their land. Yeah, it's real easy Jeez. to get over-levered in an oversupplied market once you know, you're, you're spending that much on a plant that doesn't produce a valuable product. So for us, you know, we'll be able to stay you know, a lot better uh, on that, you know. Which kind of, you know, you bring that up, that kind of, that's why I think investors have been a little bit hesitant is that they hear the word sand, they think oversupplied market, they don't want to jump in. Our business models assumes the supply of sand is ubiquitous. We want the sand to be everywhere. We and we've, got, be, we've proven that it is. And we've proven that it is. That doesn't scare us. That's Our business model assumes that. Uh, we just want to be operationally the most efficient company and make some money. I mean, imagine if you're not having to acquire land, right? You just remove that as a cost. You're not having to spend a few hundred million dollars on a plant, and these plants can be reused. So how many of these mobile plants would you guys want to have operational, ideally? Right now, we only have one. But, but the, <laughs> Let's start with one. Yeah. Let's start with yeah, one. We start, we're going to start with one. But, but the idea is to build up to get five to seven. Okay. Um, at least, you know, that that's the, the kind of near midterm plan. Yeah. I mean, optimally, you want to work for one of the larger independents to the majors that have dedicated crews in certain areas. So you can really capture a lot of efficiency. And that's not... How many crews in the Permian before the turndown? In January, we had around 120. 120 right now, so, you probably got about 30. Yeah. So yeah, if we can yeah. capture five to seven of those crews, we're golden. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the raise, Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big part of why I wanted to have you guys on the show, yeah. right? And we've, we've chatted about this, is that you know, a lot of the guests that we have on are, you know, it's software, it's, mm-hmm. it's digital stuff, right? And you know, we come from that background as well. And you can moonlight. You can bootstrap a software startup, right? You can do it. You know, you're, you're working your day job nine to five. You get home and you're hacking away building something, right? You don't necessarily always need the capital to uh, to build something like that. Conversely, mm-hmm. with with some, something like this, especially you know in the oil and gas industry, the OFS side of the business is huge. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely essential for operations to continue. But what I'm seeing, especially from because you're not necessarily a fit for companies like this, are not necessarily a fit for traditional venture capital, right? right. Uh, most of them are not really investing into the OFS stuff, but you do have private equity, right? Mm-hmm. But private equity traditionally on the OFS side is not necessarily the most friendly and in terms of terms, right? Yep. And so, you, so you're asking for a lot of money, but they're also asking, they're, they're requiring a lot of equity or they're requiring a lot of control. And the thing that they usually want to see is show me a few customers. 
And it's like, well, how am I supposed to show you a few customers when I need X amount of dollars to build, you know, it could be 10 million or whatever it is to build a mine to get the customers in the first place. And so you have this massive chicken and egg issue on the OFS, OFS side of the business. And I haven't seen it improving whatsoever. I've only seen it get worse, mm -hmm. especially now with the oil crash, with COVID, everything else. And so a big part of what I wanted to talk about on the show today is I wanted you guys to unpack the process of raising capital. I want to talk about the challenges and stuff because you're not the only ones. We have companies reach out every single week who are in the same boat as you guys who are looking to get capital, who have a really, really great idea or business model that they're they're looking to, you know, to, to launch and, and bring to market. But to even get those first customers, it, you have to take capital. There's no other way to do it. And so let's unpack that a little bit. How long have you guys been looking to raise capital? We've been looking for, for we've really had our business going for, for about a year. And I'd say we've been looking to raise capital for, for what do you think, nine of those nine months? Yeah. So I think our first meeting with a private equity firm was in September of last year, mm -hmm. somewhere in that range. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds right. And so was the sentiment from, and I'm sure you guys have been hitting the road, but has is, is the sentiment been pretty much exactly what I said? Is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you nailed Yeah, that was pretty. pretty well, so let's unpack that a little And bit. not only is, is do people not want to invest in OFS, but they also are a little bit scared of sand because a lot of these PE firms got, you know, got screwed in, in the sand rush in, of 2017. Yeah. And so now yeah, you so have. So we're two dirty words. Yeah. Not just one. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. not only, yeah, we're, we're not sexy. We're OFS, we're OFS and sand. And so it's, it's kind of two four letter words right now. Hmm. At first, I think we didn't understand how difficult it would be at first. Yeah. Um, I mean, raising capital is never easy, but it's particularly hard in your situation. Yeah. Right. But in our first meeting, they really liked us. They really liked our business plan. We checked a lot of boxes, but in the end, it's like not the risk that they're going to take. And so they gave us good feedback and they acted like it would be fine. Like they, because we checked all the right boxes it kind of gave us like a false sense of security where, you know, we only need to find a few of these to, in order to. Yeah, I think uh, one direct quote was, you're more prepared than 30-year guys walking in the door. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I, I kind of thought, hey, this is probably not going to be too bad. But then you go down the list and they're all saying the same thing and giving you that same message, you know. And some of them, you know, getting them to take you seriously too, getting in their door is also tough. So cold emailing doesn't necessarily do the trick because you get on the phone and the first conversation you have is, okay, where are you guys at? It's like, all right, we're pre-revenue startup. And from then on, the conversation is, okay, that's not really our target. Come talk to us when you have a million a year yeah. in EBITDA. Yeah. It's like, well, when I have a million a year in EBITDA, I don't really need to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's been, that was kind of the private equity side of things. We had more luck just actually from a conference meeting the right people and getting into there's a family office that took some interest in us because they liked they liked us and they liked what we we're doing and they're not they're nimble right they can deploy capital there's only a few decisions they don't have the requirements of the yeah. PE firm they're not no institutional money nothing like that mm -hmm. so I mean on that side they're willing to work with you. But again, like you said on, on that, uh, the equity side, giving away our company, right? You know, it is the private equity world. They do take a good chunk. Are there, are there any like example terms that you guys well, the first one received mm -hmm. or at least talked about with some of these companies yeah. that were? Yeah. The first one, they said we'd be looking at keeping 10%. And that was a yeah, number. Seems, 
Yeah, it seems pretty standard. Yeah, that was a number where split between the three of us, if that equity stack doesn't look so good, you know, for is it worth even starting a company at that, right? Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, you have to get pretty big for this to be worth all of the trouble. So let's assume that you guys retain 10. So let's just say 3.33 repeating mm-hmm. for each of you. In the events you need to take follow-on capital, what does that leave you guys? It leaves you essentially you're starting a business for you to just to have a job right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, exactly. what's the exactly. exit potential and they don't and they don't want you to even take that big of a salary right that's one of the, they're very those private equity guys are pretty funny about that that they don't want you to they want you to take something really lean and which is good right keep you hungry mm-hmm. but you know mm-hmm. if you're not getting some kind of you bonus structure, end, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah it's fine yeah if i bleed you bleed was a, you know the quote from one of them so which is very understandable and i'm willing to take a risk you know take a low salary and and put it all on the line but there better be a payoff at the end of the day where it made sense to go through that so i mean i'm trying to think through a scenario i'm trying to run like the math in my head i'm trying to think through like you would have to have a a pretty amazing exit scenario exactly in order for that to be for the exit scenario to be founder friendly for even one of you, mm-hmm. yeah, right. all three of you. Yeah. And, you know, some of the terms, as soon as you pay back, you know, half of the capital, then you get some bonuses, pay back at all, then you work your way up another 5% or so in the company. So there are some terms you can work in there to help it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that unless you have an amazing exit, it's tough. Now we get 20%. So talking through it a bit more. 20% is somewhat likely. So at first, in our first conversations, it was like, you know, you'd be really lucky. After talking with some more, 20% seemed like, you know, it's it's a reasonable goal. And if we get customers ready to go, willing to put in some capital, you know, and, and they're a bigger name, it becomes a little bit better. So, you know, we're looking at maybe 30% or, or, or so. So, you know, it does... And then to the bootstrapping side of things, like we obviously can't fund this ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, heavy equipment is expensive and it's not just people and labor either to get it done. You, you really need your, your capital equipment. Otherwise you're not a company. Yeah. So, but we can rent some of this equipment. So there are ways to look at getting it down so that, you know, our, our ask is a lot less and really, it takes working with a company to figure out what they're comfortable with. And that's where mm-hmm. the family office side uh, was was a little more able to work with us, I guess, and, yeah. and look at some of those things. Can you guys say how much you're raising? With that disclaimer, this is not a uh, solicitation for investors. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, $10 million in CapEx, $5 million working capital, 15 yeah. But it, again, it is flexible, right? And I know that sounds like a lot to a lot of people because we deal with so many software companies. Mm. That is fairly standard. That's very, very standard on the OFS side. We yeah, see I mean, some the OFS time. deals don't even look at you unless you're asking for 30, yeah. right? So in some meetings, we'd be, our ask is too small. And actually on the on the OFS side, I've seen, I've had deals come across my desk that are half a billion uh, on the <laughs> right. OFS easily. Yep. Yeah, especially yeah. for if you're looking at electric fleets. I mean, that, that's expensive mm-hmm. stuff. Or refineries. For, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for a mining, yeah, oil front refineries, um, any, I can call them a real mine where you get in Minnesota, they're looking at you know, heavy metals and stuff. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, a hundred million doesn't even touch it. Yeah. And, and so the money's out there and there are people willing to do it. You just have to find the right ones and people willing to work with you at the right time and, and all of that. I mean, a lot of it's timing, a lot of it's their perception of the market. There's, there's people have talked to us and 
just because of how competitive the sand market is, they like they're worried, right? Mm-hmm. They don't know what's next. You know, okay, you guys have this figured out. What's going to be the next contraption? The right answer is we're next. Yeah, we're the <laughs> yeah right. And, and and certainly, you know, the downturn has has made things a bit more difficult and slowed things down, but. You know, we've also had a lot of customers come to us because because for me, you know, right now it, it all starts and ends with the customer, right? If we get a customer that then the, the capital will come. You know, we already have some, some agreements with like the family office. So, so that part will come. But what we've had people reach out to us to say that, that, look, I know I'm getting sand cheaper now than I ever have before. And, you know, I've talked to, to consultants and, and they've been asked, what's the first thing that's going to go up in price when we start to turn this thing around a little bit? And the, the answer is frac sand. Right. Because like I said, we've had two bankruptcies. People can't even, you know, cover the, their variable cost right now. So what can the ENPs do to make sure they not only continue to capture the savings that they've gained today, but what if they can expand on those? And so mm-hmm. that's where we can come in and help people continue to lower their cost, not only in the short term, but in the long term. And you guys said you, you've already been talking to a bunch of ENPs and the reception so yep. far has been like, yeah, absolutely. We'd work with something like this. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, a- absolutely. The, you know, we've talked to the super majors because a lot of them are kind of going with the manufacturer model. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they all want to push the ESG, which which we think, you know, we provide a lot with the elimination of trucks. There's there's a lot of ESG benefits there. And as well as, as the safety, you know, the Permian has. I think 11% of Texas's death fatali- or Texas vehicle fatalities with only 2% of the population. Mm-hmm. So if you can eliminate those, you know, 2 million road miles per crew, you're inherently going to save some lives. Yeah, you know? your average well is what 400 truckloads yep. going 80 miles each way, 75 80 miles each way. There's a lot of fatalities, a lot of injuries. I know when I worked at Halberd and I had a coworker die in a car wreck you know if we can leave this industry with less trucking we've made a positive impact beyond just you know a financial one mm. so going back to what you originally asked is what i was gonna say is is the super majors while we are a great fit for them mm. especially in the long term uh in the short term you know and what we've heard is they don't want to they're not really risk takers especially right now you know they want to be fast followers mm-hmm. some of the lines that we and that's had. that's pretty that's pretty um normal for most of the emps nobody wants yep. to try things first they want somebody else to come in try it be the guinea pig and then they're happy to be a second mm-hmm. yeah, you know and exactly, they actually yeah. most prefer to yep. be the second i think we talked about this on the, on the phone whenever we, when we first got introduced are you able to take say like something like an loi or at least something from from these emps and take it to some of these capital sponsors and say hey we've got like three ENPs that want to work with us mm-hmm. so they would absolutely love the technology yeah so yeah. one thing on that was a lot of those the loi the ones that got burned by the sand game last time because they turned me from wrong a lot of the private equity how many were private equity backed of the 22 sand mines several i, I don't know the Most. number off the top of my head but but a lot of them were and you know they all had take or pay contracts so, so meaning you're going to take a million tons a year and but then any kind of downturn all of a sudden you know people are going to take half that and then really these companies were left, you know, holding the bucket. Yep. Yeah. And there was someone right next door that was willing to sell it to them cheaper. Right. Yeah. So the the previous deals kind of ruined an LOI for you. I mean, it. In a certain way. I, one advantage we have is we need a lot more prep work because we are a service company where we got to sort a lot of stuff out in advance. The chances of getting left high and dry for someone next door doesn't really exist. But as far as an LOI from the private equity, that's just another thing that they didn't. Right. They like. So they didn't want a firmer contract, essentially, is what is what we're working towards. But certainly getting, getting, a, getting a couple, I, I think that'll help. And then, you know, we've started to get creative on, on what else we can do. Can we can we talk to a bank? What else can we do? So, mm-hmm. so there are some ideas that we have out there. And, and I think we're making s- some good progress there. Yep. We have talked with the MPs about getting funding from them. Yes. 
prepayment on a large enough contract can get us to where we can order enough equipment to operate. A large enough contract does allow us to take debt for working capital. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are ways to kind of work the deal in, and it does take kind of that EMP really wanting this, which there are some that really see it and they do want us in there. So we're getting there. Yeah. I think the prepayment on uh, on terms like that, I think would, would make a lot of sense. Obviously, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a much harder sell given the current environment that we're in, but something like that would definitely make it easier, even if it was just enough to uh, kind of be quote unquote, a lead investor in the round and then therefore not have to take as much from, from somebody like a capital sponsor, right? We've even looked at like doing trials and even some of that they look at us like okay i know a trial will show us that your equipment works but they already see this is proven stuff so they want to see that that operational success and see the efficiencies in real life before they you know take a flyer on you so yeah there's it gets interesting so the biggest concern you know i think from the investor standpoint as you guys have mentioned is the fact that the sand business hasn't gone traditionally well especially over the last couple of years has been kind of a big bust but with it being an entirely new concept of where the sand is pulled from and now eliminating the trucking and then checking the box on the esg you can't necessarily go next door like like john uh, michael mentioned and just get cheaper sand right right so therefore you're now taking something that's been commoditized and Commoditizing it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a word. Yeah, certainly to an extent. You know, that's why we want to be a service company first. Yeah, because like I said, our goal is to provide sand in the safest and cheapest way possible, and the Permian provides you know a great way to do that with with the sand being everywhere. Are the other big guys? Are they just uh, like manufacturers of the sand? They're not actually. Are they transporting it or doing for the anything? most part? So you had some people join the last mile, but they all did it sort of recently. And then the others have kind of followed it begrudgingly because you have to offer a solution where you can get sand fully delivered to the well because that's what the ENPs need, right? Especially at first, they didn't really have a big supply chain team. So when the move went from selling the Halliburton's of the world to the operators of the worlds, all of a sudden, you know, Halliburton is famous for having this giant war room that they would show off. And there was articles in the Houston Chronicle about it. And they had these massive terminals. Well, now all of a sudden the process becomes a whole lot easier when you're saying the responsibility of the sand company is to get the sand from the mine to the well. And then we make that even easier because we're going to build the, uh, your inventory out two weeks in advance. So you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about getting late night calls, which I've made and delivered. And they're not fun to get when all of a sudden something goes down at the mine or the truck got in a wreck. Right. All that stuff can happen. And, you know, we can really help that process and smooth it out and reduce the opportunity for NPT. Yes. Yeah. I remember being when being a frack engineer out there, I remember hearing the figure every hour you're down can cost a hundred grand, right? So if we can eliminate just the possibility of that, you know, on a large scale to a large degree, there's so much operational efficiency for the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Time is money. I see that as being a big advantage, like you said, with it just being so close for one mm-hmm. time, you don't have the time that the truck is driving. And then plus I should you mentioned, you know, the safetyness of removing yeah. the trucks. Is there anything, I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but kind of on topic at the same time. Is there any other like things that you guys see in the OFS world that could be improved upon by shifting to more of a model like this of being kind of more, more last mile? When you're talking about delivering commodity to a frag shop, I mean, it, water used to be trucked in, mm-hmm. right? They didn't, yeah. they didn't have water wells, the, the quality, they needed it to be a lot cleaner than, um, than what they've done. So, you know, we're kind of cop, we're piggybacking on that in a way. What other resource can you find right on the ground? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like water, you can drill a hole and then get the water out. So that's nice. You know, sand is about the only other thing you need. Yeah. You're not going to find the chemicals. 
but, but certainly for going from the model of build everything bigger and badder to build it smaller and nimble, you know, and have it more dedicated to fleets. We think that there can be a lot of efficiencies there. Yeah, I was reading a book. It was essentially saying that we're not going to have the world of, of yesterday is not going to be the world of tomorrow mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, this economies of scale of having super large yes. buildings, mm-hmm. you know, especially as, you know, everything is played out with, with what we've seen in the pandemic. Now we've seen more and more people working from home and now it's becoming evidently more clear how that really is going to play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's still going to be spaces for everybody to work, but it's not necessarily going to be gigantic buildings. It's not necessarily going to be gigantic companies. I think that those days are primarily over and I think it's going to be a lot of more small and nimble everything in life right you kind of saw the henry ford model was to assembly line everything get your efficiencies at the plant and build really big plants Mm -hmm. i think that is starting to go away so if you look at ethanol a lot of it is really big plants but now they're starting to get little modular ones i think supply chain does matter a lot and and small unitized production facilities of any kind probably do offer a lot well hemp is another one that they're they're not even going to these super huge facilities they're they're bringing in mobile units already today well just think Mm -hmm. of the capex spend per ton of sand produced right we're Mm -hmm. so much more efficient than these large mines Mm -hmm. i mean that's five times more efficient good kpi Mm -hmm. yeah we don't need to dry it we don't need to store it we don't need to screen it yeah we i mean we our plan will produce max efficiency 1.3 million tons a year you know, these big mines produce, what, three? Three, three to four. Three to four. So we're doing one-third of the total sand production for one-tenth of the CapEx, one-twentieth of the CapEx. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot. So for, you know, as we're kind of wrapping things up, for any of the operators who are listening, any of the capital groups who are listening who want to reach out to you guys, what's the best way to reach out? Do you guys have a website up? Yeah. So our website is uh, nomadprofit.com. All our info is on there um, in, in the team tab. So feel free to reach out to any of us. We're, we're happy to get back to you. Absolutely. Well, thanks guys for making the trip down. Really appreciate it. And thanks for opening up and kind of telling the story about, you know, if you're out there and you're raising capital, it doesn't matter what it's for. For one, it's going to be hard. You know, it's it's going to take a lot longer than you think. There's going to be a lot of roadblocks and a lot of challenges along the way. And it is going to be particularly more challenging if you're in the OFS space uh, and you're looking for a little bit more capital to kind of get things started. But I wanted to do this as a way to show that you're not alone if you're out there doing this and that there it, it is possible. I know it's a very, very challenging environment, but just keep pushing forward. So thanks again, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate thank it. All right, guys, if you enjoyed the episode, uh, forgot to mention this or maybe i've mentioned i don't know we're throwing all these episodes up on youtube so if you haven't checked out our youtube just go check it out digital wall cutters uh you can see this episode and a couple of the other more recent episodes and all the other video content that we're dropping so we'll catch you guys in the next one Come on.